listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, it's great to be back. Got some great things coming up in the show, so stay tuned. Well, it's great to be here. It's a bright, sunny day. It's green. Everything's growing. Just great. Hope it's sunny where you are, and I hope you're having a great week. Well, there's a couple of really interesting things to talk about today. And the first is something that doesn't get talked about very often in relation to supply chains, but it is nevertheless something which is very important to think about. And it's about insurance. And I'm going to talk about shipping insurance when you move goods around the world, the type of insurance that you need or you need to know about in order to protect those assets moving around. And the second thing I'm going to talk about today is the story about reputational damage, which can be done by organizations not thinking through properly their actions and how it's going to be received and how it's going to be determined by others, which could, in an instance, get rid of many years of brand building that the organization has attempted. So that's the second thing we want to talk about today. So let's get started. Well, today, I thought I'd take a look at risk. And when we think of risk, we also think of insurance. Insurance is something that spreads our risk. It takes care of the risk. So if we're involved in business, we always think about insuring all kinds of risk. And the sort of risk we insure are, obviously, for buildings. We have public liability insurance in case we injure anybody while they're on our premises or working in our organization. And we have employee insurance as well, not just the public liability, but the people we employ. We want them to be safe and working in safe environments. And we also, when we ship goods or transport goods, have to have insurance for that purpose too. And it's this latter type of insurance I want to discuss today. So it's shipping insurance. And I want to explain the types of shipping insurance and why it's important to have it. So stay tuned. When Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, do you think the first thing he thought of was to put them on a ship? No, of course it wasn't. The first thing was to get them in a jar. And then once they're in a jar, get them labelled, put them on a pallet board, and then put them on a ship. And where are those peppers Peter Piper picked? Well, they were last seen on a ship headed for Los Angeles. And do you think they ever arrived? Well, we don't know. Because it's like in space, it's a black hole that goes into Los Angeles and disappears. Well, sort of. That's when the risk begins, when you put those things on a ship. So here we are. I have my raw materials. I've got them ready and prepared. They're going through processes right now. There's some labor costs going in there. There's some more processing. There's some packaging materials that I've got to put around those individual jars to protect them. I'm going to shrink wrap those. And then I'm going to put them on a pallet board. And then I'm going to shrink wrap the pallet board. After, of course, I've put the tracking information on there and some barcodes and things to keep them safe so as I can track them and know where they are at any point in time. And then they're on the pallet board and now they're off to the port to be loaded on a ship. And I've waved bye-bye 
and I never see them again, and neither does anybody else. So what happens when that happens? Well, you need to make sure you're insured. If you've got insurance, you might be covered if you've got the right type of insurance. But this can happen to your goods or anyone's goods when you put everything together and you've put all that cost in to get those goods to the right quality and you're sending them to the right place and hopefully in the right time and you've got the price points fixed at the right price, etc., etc. And woof, they've gone. And this can happen with anybody's goods. So it's very important when you're looking at supply chains to make absolutely sure belt and braces that you can keep track of those goods and that you can put them into safe hands. This is why it's very important to pick shipping companies and transportation companies that are going to look after the goods just as much as you would. Well, cost insurance freight, you may have seen it and you may know all about it. But if you don't, that's an important consideration in international shipping agreements, CIF. It represents the charges that are paid by a seller to cover the cost insurance and freight of a buyer's order while the cargo's in transit. It only applies to goods transported via waterways, seas or ocean. The goods go to the buyer's port that's named in the sales contract, and until the goods are delivered to the buyer's destination port, the seller is responsible for all the costs of any loss or damage to the product. And if the product requires additional custom duties or export paperwork or inspections, rerouting, etc., then the seller must cover those expenses. Once the goods reach the buyer's port of destination, the buyer assumes responsibility for any other fees, charges for unloading and delivering the shipment to the final destination. CIF is similar in nature to carriage and insurance paid, CIP, but CIF is just for sea transportation or waterway transportation. Under CIF, purchasing export licenses for the product, inspections, charges and fees for shipping and loading the goods to the seller's port, packaging costs for exporting the cargo, fees for custom clearance duty and taxes, shipping and freight costs via sea to the port of destination, cost of insuring the shipment until the buyer takes responsibility at the port of destination, and and covering the cost of any damage or destruction to the goods that might happen in transit. The buyer is responsible for unloading the products, as we've said, at the port terminal, and then transferring the product on to the destination, wherever that is, on their side. Customs duty charges associated with importing goods are the buyer's responsibility, and transport costs for the onward destination are the buyer's responsibility also. The important thing to take away from this discussion is where the transfer of risk takes place and who assumes the risk when. And in simple terms, the risk is a seller's responsibility until the buyer accepts the responsibility at the destination port in the sale contract. Inco terms 2020. Over the years, the International Chambers of Commerce made changes to terms and guidelines for international trade. In 2020, the ICC made adjustments to the rules, which were called Inco terms. 2020, and it changes the way insurance coverage requirements under SIF agreements work. Sellers are now required to obtain a high or higher level or more comprehensive insurance than was required under the previous INCO terms 2010. Cost insurance and freight we've discussed. Free on board is another 
means of uh, agreement in a sale contract. And that simply means that the goods become the buyer's responsibility at the point they enter the ship. The seller just has a responsibility to get the goods to the ship and loaded. But once they're on a ship and it's fully loaded, ready to sail, it's the buyer's responsibility. So many contracts agree free on board. The seller has responsibility in these FOB arrangements for the packaging of the export item, charges to load the product, and any trucks delivering the goods to the seller's port, export taxes, customs duties, and costs at the point of export, any transfer, handling, and loading charges associated with the loading of the product onto the ship. And the buyer takes responsibility for freight charges associated with shipping the cargo from the seller's port to the buyer's port of destination, the cost of insurance, the freight, but the buyer has the option of not buying insurance. Cost of unloading the shipment at the buyer's port and delivering it to the final destination is the buyer's responsibility, and any import duties, taxes and costs associated with clearing customs are at the buyer's expense. It's important to understand that there may be different types of free on-board agreements and the insurance coverage can be negotiated between the buyer and seller as part of the contract. In other words, there could be an agreement in which the buyer pays the freight charge or cost of delivery, but the seller might agree to pay for the marine insurance. If you're entering a contract where you have to ship goods by sea, then I suggest that you do your homework before you begin. And it's in the interest if you're buying the goods to make the seller responsible until you take them at your destination port. So let the seller deal with the transport to your port of destination and all the insurance costs and freight costs up to that point. And that should be negotiated in the contract. The alternative, as we mentioned, is free on board. And that really gives the advantage to the seller because they just have to get the goods to the ship and from the point that they are loaded onto the ship, the insurance and freight costs are the buyer's responsibility. But the one thing that's definitely certain is just make sure that you've got insurance on any transportation or goods in transit, because what we do know is that things can and do go wrong, either through accidental damage caused during a sea journey, or through handling, either loading or unloading, or an accident at sea. Fires on board ships that we've reported endlessly on the Chain Reaction podcast, and occasionally ships do sink or container boxes do fall off. And then there's the added complication of theft. So there's opportunities to steal goods either at the port of loading or the port of unloading, and it does happen, even with container boxes when they're sealed. <laughs> Now, let's suppose you're the CEO of a large corporation and you're looking to solve a problem. You think costs are too high in a particular area and you read through your P&L and look, look at the numbers and you think, hmm, labor costs are quite high. I know what I'll do. I'll set up a Zoom meeting and I'll fire all my 800 employees on that area where those costs are and... That'll get rid of my labour problem because I can get them off the books and instead of them being on seven-day contracts where they get paid for all the time that they're on the ships, I'll get it such that they're only paid for the work they do. So if they only work five out of the seven days they're actually on the ship, they just get paid for five and the other two days 
we give them free board. Yeah, and actually, I'll take the average wage cost down by paying them below the minimum UK wage. I'll pay them just £5.50 and I'll see who I can attract. I won't worry about the training for all these people. I'll just suspend ferries for a few weeks or ship movements for a few weeks. And the cost of doing that, okay, it might be relatively large, but uh, it'll soon be put right because I'll have these ongoing low labour costs and I'll have got rid of all that expensive labour. Great idea. Reach for the Zoom button, get me the Zoom call. I'm going to speak to them all. I'm going to fire them. Next thing, you can't sell your ships. And you start to recruit labour at lower cost. But they're not trained. So your ships then are not necessarily seaworthy. They don't pass the, the threshold for seaworthiness under the local law. So your ships start to be impounded by the authorities in the UK. One two and maybe more and now you've got a couple of ships out of action and you've got a labor dispute on your hands you've got a fight with the government because they don't think you've done things properly they think you've broken a law and sound familiar well that's what pno have done is this a good idea is this a way to go is it good to adopt illegal unethical practice hmm doesn't sound the way to go to me but the ceo of pno in the uk seems quite brazen about it it's the sort of rash act with maybe not much thought that can seriously damage the reputation of the company. And that damage is sometimes irreparable. We've seen episodes where companies have done some crass things in the past and they've damaged the whole brand as a consequence of a moment of stupidity. You become the most hated company in the world, or at least in the country where you've got the dispute. And it's very difficult. You spend all that time, all those years, or somebody has, building up the reputation of the company to get it damaged in a single act. Well, good luck with that. So this is about the big story that's been happening in the United Kingdom for the past two weeks. Sacking of 800 seafarers from P&O, claiming that without actually firing these employees, many of whom have worked for P&O for many years and, of course, live on the ships. They say they wouldn't survive. Oh, very odd, isn't it, really? I mean, it's owned by DP World, which is a Dubai-based company, which seems to sponsor all kinds of sports events, including golf tournaments. And yet here we are replacing labour on the ships with much cheaper labour, paying about £5.50 an hour on average, which is below the minimum wage in the United Kingdom. The UK minimum wage moves from £8.91 to over £9 to £9.50 on the 1st of April. So it's £5.50 that they're paying, so that's going to be £4 lower than the minimum wage. I think that'll be legal, won't it? I think it'll be outlawed by the government. So they're going to be in trouble over this. I think they're going to lose the ships. And I think they're going to... Uh, they might be forced to sell the ships to somebody who can operate the company uh, more efficiently than than they can. They obviously don't seem to be able to do that. Peter Hebblethwaite, who's the chief executive of the company in the UK, gets paid about £325,000 a year, plus all sorts of bonuses. And he was 
most unimpressive in front of a parliamentary committee in the last week or so, where he was asked why this event had happened, why they'd decided to purge the uh, labour force, and he said it was the only thing he could do to save the company. It was according to the Times newspaper, they published an article in the last day or two saying he's the most hated man in the United Kingdom. Because he admitted that they broke the law, and he admitted that uh, he'd do it again if he had to. He'd make exactly the same decision. Not many people would say that, would they, really? Most people would learn from doing something crass and blatantly illegal. But uh, he seems to want to repeat it. And these ships sail to and from British ports regularly. Two of them have now been impounded by the port authorities because of the crews they've replaced the long-standing crews with are said to be not fit for purpose. In other words, they're not fully trained and the ships aren't uh, being allowed to sail at the present. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the UK has said that uh, Hebblethwaite should resign from his post as chief executive and Grant Shapps has written a letter to him asking him to reverse the decision and this is a company that its parent company has been promised all kinds of government contracts to do with free ports and there's also rumours of allegedly money that's been put into that company from uh, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office through uh, CDC arrangements. These are kind of payments to support developing countries. Well, wish I had a business that was creaking at the seams and that I could access government funds for. But uh, it's a very odd position. I mean, Hebblethwaite says that uh, a further 2,200 people will lose their jobs if he reverses the decision. But this is probably a threat almost a ransom act towards government to uh, tread light. Remains to be seen. But it's difficult to place trust in anything that uh, an organisation which acts illegally and unethically makes statements about. The government in the United Kingdom has decided to take criminal action against P&O this week, with the company admitting to breaking the law when it dismissed the workforce. Brand reputation takes years to build, and organisations spend lots of money trying to persuade customers to place trust in the brand. But they can be destroyed in seconds. It takes just one crass act by the CEO or other employees, and the brand is diminished. And I think organisations would do well to think carefully about protecting that brand. It's what accountants call goodwill. It's the goodwill that creates the value. And if you ever come to sell the company, if you've got a brand with goodwill, you get paid a premium. But if you've got a brand that's got no value, then you're not going to get much for it. If you've got to rebuild the reputation of the company, it could take years again to do that. And people will remember the brand for the actions it took. So when customers choose suppliers and they buy goods and services from those suppliers, they're placing trust in the brand. And they trust the organisation to do the right thing. So it's at your peril that you actually destroy that brand. You should do everything you can to protect it and build the reputation and maintain the reputation. You owe it to all the stakeholders in your business. So when you're thinking about your organisation, 
and establishing those supply chain networks that you have and the partnership arrangements and choosing digital service providers, consultants and whoever else. You have to ensure that you're placing that business in good hands because you can be tarnished by association. So there's a moral to the tale, isn't there? And I was just reflecting today. It's We're at the end of March and we're in 2022. Just a year ago, do you remember it was all that trouble with the ship, the Ever Given, that evergreen ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal holding up global trade? And we thought that was a major problem then for global trade, going to stop all kinds of uh, goods being transported. And of course, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Well, things have got better for lots of trade. But of course, it's also a lot worse in many ways with the trouble in Ukraine and all the problems there are in the world and the pandemic still here. And we're having to live with it and we're having to find ways to live with that pandemic. And we have uh, booster rollouts and further vaccine developments and so on. And well... Sometimes, don't you just wish it was 2019 again? Well, let's hope that 2022, the rest of it's good for everybody and things get better. But we've got all those problems with fuel and gas and inflation. Yeah, it's back to the 1970s, I think. Early 70s, the oil crisis. It just goes to show how dependent we are on fossil fuels. And that can't be good that we have all this dependency on fossil fuel. There have to be better ways to eke out a living and an existence that's uh, beyond fossil fuel. So all those scientists out there, get busy. Find new ways to create energy. Let's have solar, wave power, wind, and maybe new forms of energy. And instead of making weapons from the science of nuclear fission. Let's get to work on making nuclear safe to power fuel. Now here's my three-minute tip to create advantage in your supply chain this week. Supply chains can be complex, but the principles to manage them are simple. Let's take a quick look and let's look at where my 7V framework helps to achieve supply chain advantage. You have to manage volumes, so you need to know the quantities that pass through your supply chain at any time. And that needs to be complete information. So you need to track the goods and the information flows and the money that move through the system. And digital transformation can help your organization with that. It creates what you need next, visibility to know where everything is in the supply chain at any point in time. And you need to limit variety to lower cost in the supply chain. But the paradox is you may want to increase variety to provide customers with choice and service. And that has to be balanced very carefully. You'll have to cost it and you'll have to make sure that any increase in variety adds value. You have to reduce variability by maintaining quality and standards. This builds reputation. You have to manage volatility when it comes from whatever source, whether it's a problem that's caused internally by a production process or whether it's an external factor, such as a pandemic or such as a war or such as a weather storm. Agility and flexibility are the key to managing volatility and you'll need to be resilient and you'll need to learn from 
past experience. You'll also have to move from physical to digital information and distribution solutions to empower the virtual supply chain where and when possible. And of course, in totality, you have to manage the end-to-end processes to create value and not to produce cost. Well, excessive cost. It's about creating value. So there are the seven V's in a nutshell, and they are the focus of attention for adding value to any supply chain. You can read about them, of course, in more detail in my Supply Chain Strategies book. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you've learned something from listening. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.